When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Alex McLaren. I'm an actor and I've worked as a communications coach since 2002. Now so much business is being conducted remotely, the ways in which we talk, present, build relationships and connect is changing. In this podcast, I want to explore all those issues and prove to you that no matter who you are, you can talk to anyone. Hello and welcome to You Can Talk To Anyone, the podcast in which we open the bonnet on our communications engine. I'm Alex. And I'm Tom. And this week we're going to be talking about networking, or as I called this in the show notes, Tom, oh no networking. Uh, and, And I called it that for a reason, because we've been working with people in business for 20 years, and that's what they say to us again and again. Grown-up professional people with significant experience and amazing insight and skill into their specialist areas, they really hate the idea of going to a party with a lot of other people and building relationships for work. I'm certainly aware that it creates an enormous difference just in the way that the event is contextualized and framed. Mm. As you say, a networking event is a party, an opportunity to meet people. It should be a nice thing. But as soon as we put that label networking on it, it changes. And I think one of the things that changes is there's now an obligation on you. You're here for a specific purpose, and that purpose is maybe not one we're all terribly comfortable with. Yes. I remember I'm remembering a specific occasion in which I actually went to a networking event with my oh, business sorry. hat on. Yeah, I know. Um, and I, basically, I was invited by um, one of our improv students, Sitel. Hello, Sitel. He's in Singapore now where he works for Microsoft. And, uh, and he, he knew that we needed to build up connections when we first started. And um, and the stakes were slightly raised because I was the only person there, um, apart from a Sital who I knew. Um, and also it was in quite a high stakes environment. It was at the National Liberal Club. Um, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a big swanky. I think I went to a, a wedding reception there once. A, Does that yeah, sound plausible? That yeah. sounds very plausible. It's a grandiose imperial building on Northumberland Avenue. Yes, yeah, yeah, have, yeah. And and this man talked about his business consultancy to a group of people sitting in rows. And the awful thing was, I felt this pressure to impress people. Um, which is uh, so bad for anybody's sense of ease and relaxation and actually gets in the way of you impressing people. And I remember the subject came up between me and this basically an old white-haired, besuited, posh man in which we were talking about psychometric testing. And I didn't know much about psychometric testing, certainly not at the time. And I referred to it as psychometry, which isn't a word, Tom, and, uh, <laughs> which, which I would never have done if I hadn't been trying to make some kind of impression and I was off my topic. And he eyeballed me and said, what's psychometry? And I just wanted the ground to swallow me up. But that that is it. I think it's just that, that heightened sense of this is a sort of a version of me which is reaching for something 
something and needs to take home the booty. And of course, something like that could have happened at a regular party. Yes. But if it did, there would be people into whose grateful arms you could fall (laughs) and you could explain what had happened. You would be able to leave and you wouldn't have felt like you had been set a task at the beginning of the evening, which you'd now failed in because the only reason you go to a party is to meet people and have fun. Yes. Whereas when you go to an event like this, you're meant to come away with scalps yes. in the form of business cards. If people today still give out business cards, I don't know. I don't think they do. Um, uh, but uh, I suppose you... I, actually, no, I was asked for one on Monday and had it over because I had some at the bottom of my bag uh, where they were in reasonably good condition. Now, I think there's also this... The, the, it, it actually presses people's really old buttons. So one thing that happens when you walk into a room full of people at networking events is that you, you often see groups of other groups of people talking to each other. And they're often in little circles and everybody has a glass of Chablis or their non-alcoholic tipple of choice. And yeah, especially you, if you've arrived on your own. You yeah. look around the room and you see these sort of hermetically sealed cliques. Yes. These groups which will admit no intruders. Yes, and actually you don't know whether these are groups of people that just met 10 minutes ago and are so delighted with each other's company, the last thing they want would be some other numpty to come along and interrupt the fun. Or, for all you know, these are old alliances and people who haven't seen each other for a long time. And again, they don't want to be interrupted by somebody new. And that tends to be the negative assumption uh, that uh, can occur to people when they walk into those big rooms. Uh, There is also the fact that when we are sent off looking for scalps, often we'll go with our own hunting band. Mm. So you will arrive not alone with the mental and uh, the headspace to make connections. You're arriving with somebody and holding their hand or they're holding yours and you'll end up basically talking to each other throughout the evening um, and not really talking to anybody else. And that's all about making sure that you're comfortable. Yes. And that's exactly what we all do when we're Mm. put in situations where we don't feel we're entirely on safe ground. Uh, But that can lead to misjudgments. One thing I've observed as as a don't, as a thing not to do, if you finally pluck up the courage to let go of your friend's hand and you say to each other, all right, we're going to go and find people to talk to, and you look around and what you see are all of these sealed groups, you need to pick one of them and approach it. Mm. And I recommend barreling up and just saying hello to everybody in as open and friendly and as confident a manner as you can muster. That will feel terrifying the first time you try it, but here's why you have to do that. What you're going to be tempted to do is to stand near that group (laughs) and wait either for somebody to notice you and beckon you in or possibly for somebody to say something and you think, ah, I can contribute to that. Mm. But you can't control either of those things. They might happen or they might not. And if they don't, which probably on the, the balance of probabilities is the more likely outcome, you are now lurking on the outskirts of a group Yes. For second after horrifying seconds. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I was thinking about this, that, that because of the, that, the anxiety that hits us when we go into this space, it can often produce feelings and then behaviours of timidity. Um, and uh, I suppose if, if I'm uh, feeling comfortable at an event and I can see somebody who clearly needs to be looked after or potentially even rescued, uh, then if I have the presence of mind and I'm not immediately distracted, then I will reach out and uh, and do the rescuing and invite that person in and warm them up and they'll often have amazing contributions to make. 
But I think that if I'm not entirely comfortable and I'm still kind of managing my own anxiety in that situation, I may not feel like I have the the wherewithal to rescue somebody else as well as myself. And I think that is often what will happen is that people will, their timidity will leak out and it won't be a kind of a sort of like a kitten saying, pick me up and stroke me. It will be like a smelly dog that people want to <laughs> repel from the kitchen. Um, and, uh, and so I think it is very much a good thing to front up and look positive as you're approaching people. I was... Uh, I think when I've worked with people about networking events, one thing which they're always anxious about is spoiling it for other people, i.e. interrupting a conversation rather than joining one. So I always suggest as you approach groups of people, make very, very clear physical signals that you're coming mm. and that you want to join in because you don't need to interrupt with, hello, I'm uh, stop your conversation. I want to introduce myself. You can simply make very strong signals with your eyes and eyebrows. I'm coming to join you. This sounds interesting. And then you can listen to the conversation before you then fold yourself into it. Um, and, uh, and when you've listened to it, you can actually make contributions to that conversation rather than insisting they start a new one with you. Yes, and it's worth as well, I think, looking around and thinking not just which group looks inviting, hmm. but also is there a group, given how I'm feeling, given my level of comfort and confidence and so on, is there a group where I think I could make it better? Hmm. You know, you pick the group that's having the worst time in the room and there's a danger that you're going to be walking into conversational quicksand yes. and all that's going to happen is that you'll go down with them. <laughs> but you pick a group that's having a fantastic time and you think, I'd like to be part of that group. There is a very grave danger you may go in and make it worse. Yeah. <laughs> so try and pick the group where you think you can add something where given how ebullient you're feeling, you could go into that group and make it a bit more cheerful give them a better time than they're having at the moment. Yes, I do think this is a, th think about am I diluting what's going on um, and thus spoiling it for everybody. Or am I fortifying yes, it? Yes, am I fortifying <laughs> or contributing to it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm just interested as well that um, uh, that, that when we go in as, into a networking event, it's not the same as going around to your friend's house uh, for a party. Um it's more like going to one of those big events where there are a lot of individual guests. And it is worth asking, if I had a guest coming around to my house for a party, what would a good guest do? And I think they would certainly want to help support the party itself. Mm, yes. Um, so it's worth thinking when you go along to a networking event, uh, what did the organiser have in mind when they set this whole thing up? What, what is it that they would like to have as an outcome? Which means that you can... You can slightly shift your focus from self-consciousness about yourself to um, to other people's needs, which I think is always a really good attitude to take with you when you're trying to engage socially with uh, with new people. What do they need out of this interaction rather than just you? And organisers themselves can sometimes take proactive action. I'm now recalling when we used to run regular improvisation workshops on the first day of what would be a series of eight weekly classes – something between 10 and 20 people would show up and they'd all be strangers and people would have trouble finding the place sometimes. So over about 20 minutes, those people would slowly arrive. And very often I was having to sort of duck in and out and guide people in and so on. So there'd be a circle of chairs which would gradually start filling up. Mm -hmm. People very rarely sit next to a stranger. And sometimes there would be a couple of people there who were just very outgoing and personable and without me having to do or say anything, mm -hmm. the room would be full of noise and activity. And I, as the organiser, would be feeling this is going really well. Mm -hmm. But on at least one occasion, I clearly remember 
coming back in, having found somebody who was calling me in saying, I can't find the place and having walked them in. And I had to walk in with this person to a room that was totally silent. <laughs> and I had to say, uh, guys, we're still waiting for a few more people. Turn to the person next to you and introduce yourself and just make that an instruction. And people yes. did. And then when I had to go out again and come back, the room was full of mm. energy and people had discovered that the totally random stranger sitting next to them was a nice, interesting person. And their reason for coming to this event was a topic of conversation. Yes, I think when you're a hosting a party and your network and, and, and networking is part of it or building networks is part of the, the brief, particularly at the beginning of the assembly of a group. Uh, one thing which I discovered early is that if I was talking to everybody, the conversations wouldn't begin. So I actually had to, as the host, drop my voice and start a, an individual conversation with one person, not in order to exclude everybody else, but in order to give people permission to talk to each other so that there was not only one conversation happening in that room. Uh, and uh, and so we, we do sometimes have to be quite strategic about these things when it's our responsibility um, uh, to, to be like that. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The other thing which people ask me, we've talked about how you get into a group, mm. but the other thing that people ask me is how do I get out? <laughs> how do I leave? How do I end a conversation? Because if you have made a bad call, or even if just you've been talking to this person or this group of people for what feels like long enough and given that you're there to mm. meet lots of different people, being stuck in the same conversation for an hour, two mm. hours is a bad outcome. So people need a way of removing themselves without causing offence. Do you have any tips about that? Um, yeah, I think, I, firstly, people often feel, I notice people feel embarrassed about making lying excuses. So um, I, <laughs> yes. I, just, I have to make this urgent call. Um, uh, or I must visit the bathroom and hopefully they can sneak out another door and find themselves talking to somebody else. And so people do feel this, this sense of, I want to have a, 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 an honest reason for extricating myself from a conversation. I think as far as actual formal networking is concerned, uh, the more brightly you can simply say, it's been a pleasure. I'm going to do some more circulating. Yes. Uh, because that's a sort of a, a kind of a, a verb to describe what people are supposed to do at parties, which people generally understand. You have also to be 
strong. It's tough love. Mm. You may see their crestfallen face because they're about to be abandoned by their their life belt who has supported them for the first 20 minutes of this event. But uh, I think we can sometimes get stuck imagining that we are indispensable to this person now um, simply because it went well. And I don't think we are. I mean, if you've had a conversation with, pers- with a person, somebody else can have a conversation with them as well. Um, and if they uh, truly are incredibly hard work, and let's be frank, somehow that is that. Mm. Sometimes that's how it feels. Uh, then it's probably a good thing for everybody that the load is spread out beyond just you or you and one other person. Yeah, the expectation that we're there to make contacts and figure out what can you do for me, what mm. can I do for you, the kind of grubby commerciality <laughs> of that is one of the things that brings that pressure to bear. But you're right, you can like a judo master you can use that to your advantage you can say quite explicitly we're here to meet lots of people as fascinating as you are i've been talking to you and only you for 20 minutes let's both go and find new people to talk to and let's meet up later and compare notes yes it's funny i was just talking earlier on to our colleague gina who in a former life used to run a networking club um, in adam street and she was saying that they they used to do formal speed networking uh, with the idea that by setting a clock every three minutes, you could get through 30 people very quickly. Um, and by that means, you'd actually have gone through a kind of triage process. And, you, <laughs> you would, and then you would genuinely have a kind of a short list then of the people that you really do wanted to spend slightly more time with as you went through the evening. Now, I mean, that does, it does make the, the sort of the motivated connecting somewhat explicit. But then anyone who's going to an event like that is there with that motivation in mind. So it's uh, it, it just kind of it takes the responsibility for that shifting from person to person and making sure you meet as many people as possible off the shoulders of the individual party attendee. And you can see why that would, uh, would liberate people. The other thing which I think is vital is understanding your own role in the conversation. Mm. If you are trying to draw someone out who's a bit shyer than you are, who is not having as good a time as you're capable of having, you'll want to ask them questions Mm. in order to get them to respond. But if you're not careful, early on in the conversation with someone who's not feeling quite at ease yet, they may be giving you rather short answers and you can start sort of interrogating them. You know, uh, uh, did you manage to go on holiday this year? Yes. Uh, Where did you go? Skiing. Uh, Do you go skiing every year? Answer that question! And what's missing from this interaction, which would be present if you were talking to Mm. your friends, is your reaction and your opinion. So if you ask somebody, did you go on holiday? And they say, yes, we went skiing. You'll probably have a view about skiing. You Mm. might also enjoy skiing, Mm. which is great. Now you've found a subject that you have in common. But if you dislike skiing or you dislike the idea of skiing, then you can also say that. And now the skiing enthusiast that you're talking to might have quite a good time Mm. selling skiing to you. Yes, it's funny. There's an important relationship in my life, which is very frustrating. (laughs) The the person involved never asks me questions and is always telling stories. Is it Um, your son? uh, No, no. (laughs) No, I'm I'm not going to say. And so that's incredibly frustrating. But you're right that the problem isn't necessarily whether somebody asks questions. It's who is this person Mm. who is asking me questions? And have they disclosed enough for me to feel safe about swapping my feelings on any trivial subject? Um, Because then we're finding that that shared territory. And so I I do think um, asking questions is important, but you're quite right, it's the follow-up and the sharing 
that comes out of that questioning, which makes it safe rather than, as you say, an interrogation in which the questioning is designed to make you vulnerable and expose you and get you convicted <laughs> in court. Uh, and that's sometimes how it can feel when people are politely trying to express interest in us, but they're not actually sharing enough in order to make it safe for us to then share our own positions on things. One of the things that's, of course, going to, I think, colour a lot of the conversations that we have on this podcast is the fact that not all the kind of communications that we're doing looks the same because mm. of lockdown and the pandemic and so on. And there are people who have run networking events in online spaces. Do They've done Zoom things where you can have half a dozen people in breakout rooms yes. out of a population of several hundred in some cases. I think that's really significant. And there's something to be learned, um, which is relevant both online and in person, which is that when you have crowds of people in an online space, like a, a Teams call or a Zoom call, it's never a particularly satisfying experience until you break it down into smaller groups. And in fact, I would argue that all of the most satisfying interactions in the universe are one-on-one. -on -one. It's often said um, in uh, my background as an actor that all of the best scenes are duologues. Mm. And if it's a monologue, it's a duologue between you and an audience. Um, those are the ones which are most satisfying. So if you're running a kind of an online event, get familiar with how to send people out into breakouts in pairs. Um, I know that we've had a lot of success randomizing those um, those breakout pairs, partly so that people can connect up with a lot of different people and the responsibility for choosing who those people are is not theirs, uh, but also so that people can be rescued from challenging situations, again, without having to feel that they're stuck in that situation. But if you do have a breakout group which is bigger than two, which I agree is not ideal, there is the danger that two or three people out of, let's say, six will do the vast majority of the talking mm. and there'll be one or two people who barely contribute at all. And I think one of the most vital things that you can do is notice who hasn't spoken up yet mm. and draw them in. And of course, one of the glorious benefits of meeting people on Zoom is that their name yes. is displayed in little letters <laughs> underneath the image of their face. So you don't have to worry about remembering who that person was. You can just look and say... Sam, we haven't heard from you. You can call it out. You don't have to, but you could. You can be as bold enough as to call it out. Did you have anything you wanted to add to this? Yeah. And that's something I've been doing on Zoom meetings mm. from quite early on. Yeah, it's really significant how reassuring that is to people. And it does make me, uh, I want to return to this in a later episode about remembering names. It is also, I've got to point out that it doesn't happen with such reliability on MS Teams, where people can very quickly vanish into a couple of uh, initials in a circle at the bottom of the screen. And, I, and, and the, not having actually written in white in the bottom left corner of the screen is uh, suddenly makes you feel like very vulnerable and anxious and also some people who are sharing devices oh yes may not have the accurate <laughs> the right name, name. <laughs> <laughs> oh it happens again and again or it just says work zoom um, yes. <laughs> which is not their name at all and one thing which i actually i suppose it's interesting is thinking about what connections have you made virtually um, where you haven't uh, yet met in person. Um, and I'm kind of, I, I recently had an experience when somebody who I know through conversations we have had with each other via, in Facebook threads, 
actually showed up in my town and we met up for a cup of tea. Have you ever had one of these experiences, Tom, like via Twitter or, or kind of a sort social of, media friendship? Yes. Okay. Uh, one of my best friends is somebody that I initially interacted with on a bulletin board. Uh, That's uh, uh, And then met this person in real life. Yeah. It does feel, it, <laughs> it does feel slightly like dating. And, and yeah. do you know what I mean? It's kind of, it's, so it's, there is something about the, I, I guess, you're acknowledging a connection of some kind, at least. Um, and uh, yeah, no, those friendships are, are, are really precious to me. It was really in- intriguing with this particular person when she came around to my house. It was like, okay, this is, uh, she, she was looking at the house and looking at me. <laughs> so it must have been, it, I think it can be very anxiety inducing for both parties when you're first encountering each other. So I think it's, uh, you need to acknowledge that and uh, uh, cut a lot of slack, mm. which I think is something we don't necessarily, um, uh, we don't notice it, that, that in networking situations most people recognize it's not very easy for most people most of the time and therefore we're likely to be much more forgiving and generous about the awkwardnesses and screw-ups that inevitably happen so your homework for this week for networking listeners of this show is um, at your next party aim to spend time just having one real conversation just lower the stakes on the whole thing um, even if you've been told to go and meet specific people or, or meet as many people as possible, spend time just building one connection, listening and sharing um, and connecting with one individual. Uh, because that real connection then gets witnessed by other people. People are always very, very conscious of who are the people who are successfully making connections around them. And when they notice one connection being made, that becomes magnetic. And it starts to raise the likelihood of you then making a second and a third real connection with other people at that party. And if you've got any stories that you'd like to share with us or any questions, anything that you thought we were going to tackle and it turned out we didn't on the subject of networking or any communications challenge, do please get in touch with us. You can send us an email to podcast at the-spontaneity-shop.com and we can read it out. Or you can record your thoughts and send us a voice message which we can play. Or you can send us a tweet. I'm on at Tom Selinsky. I'm tweeting at at Spontaneity Shop. Until next time, I'm Alex. And I'm Tom. Uh, Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. You have been listening to You Can Talk to Anyone with Alex McLaren and Tom Selinsky. The producer for The Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinsky. You Can Talk to Anyone is distributed exclusively by Acast.